0: thanks for tuning in. This is Single Mother Talks, where we discuss all of the trials and tribulations of truly struggling, in my case, uh, through poverty as a young mother at the age of 17 and going through the worst adversity and experiences (laughs) over a span of 10 years before I finally got some stability. Um, What was heavily on my mind this morning was kind of, how I was able to orchestrate my life in a way where you'd never sort of guess that I was struggling as much as I was or being able to cultivate the environments in my life that I did, you know, in the homes that I lived in or how I would come across, you know, I was able to be deceivingly put together um, to people and, you know, uh, and I was very, resourceful i think that's the most important thing that you have to be as a struggling struggling single mother is resourceful you have to know how to really poke around and see what's available see what's out there find the loopholes cheat the system you know you have to be able to do that and i think that that was my my saving grace because if you if you don't know how to do that then all you have are these like very limited options and if they don't work out then you're fucked So, you know, um, I tried a lot of things in my life to make ends meet and, you know, I was very thrifty. (laughs) Honestly, what I ended up doing a lot of the time was very, was illegal. I broke the law a lot. I don't think there was a week that went by where I didn't break the law when I was a young teenage single mother. And um, I'm not telling you to go out there and do this, but it's what I had to do to survive. There's a lot of cheating and lying and manipulating and and all of this just because you're trying to climb out of this hole, (laughs) this never-ending hole, and you're desperate and you're in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, it just sort of takes over you. Your personality sort of dissipates and what emerges is this creature that's focused on doing whatever it takes to have their immediate needs met. I've said this before, but interestingly enough, um, some of the most intelligent people that I've ever met or talked to are addicts, which is crazy. Um, And I think that's because they have had to sharpen their skills in terms of reading people, manipulating people, you know, like all of this um, to be able to survive. They're some of the sharpest, smartest, high-functioning people that I've ever met. And when you think of an addict, um, you know, most people envision homeless bums, people passing up from heroin on the streets. Um, Let me tell you, they're all around you. You know, I've met addicts with, you know, shit tons of money, super well off. I've met addicts that are, you know, have big families and I've met all kinds of people like this, um, you know, closet addicts and they're just so high functioning and they do really well for themselves. They're everywhere. They're not just, they're not just on the street, not just, not just bums, witty, charming, workaholics. Addicts are everywhere, you know, in all forms. Um, but Back to survival mode. Um, now, I'm not going to get into details about the ways that I broke the law. <laughs> um, but I will say this. I had to just really get creative with with whatever I was doing. And um, it was hard to follow the law when you're that desperate. That also being said, I never compromised my dignity. You know, um, and that's something that I see a lot of today, which is really alarming. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I have been, you know, proposed to do something or whatever. Um, I've been approached in a gym to be in a sex film. Uh, you know, so it's everywhere. You always have these options, you know, and I kind of feel sorry for beautiful women because it's always, there's, there's always propositions out there and there's always ways that you can get ahead using that beauty and your body. Um, but it was never for me and I never compromised my dignity that way. I just knew that, you know, I could never live with myself. I knew that the, the residual effects of that would stay with me a long time and it would really affect the way that I felt about myself. Um, so, you know, I pride myself on never using that to my advantage, um, you know, like, there's a lot of OnlyFans and stuff that's happening out there. And believe me, it would be so easy for me to just go and, you know, get rich off of selling underwear and, um, you know, taking pictures of my asshole. But <laughs> it's just not for me. It's not something that I'll ever do. Um, and it's something that I've never done in any regard. So, you know, I never compromised my dignity, but I definitely was very manipulative um i described being very cutthroat in my early years and i was i was a savage um in terms that i i didn't know what integrity was i didn't know how to be a good person all i knew was that i was thrust into this situation where i was on my own completely i had just been abused and i had to survive i had a a child to take care of so i had to get you know food and, and everything and whatever by any means necessary You know, so that means I did desperate things like, like stealing and lying and, um, and and using people for sure. When you have such barren options and they're all shitty and they're all going to come with consequences, um, you just kind of learn to roll with it and you put up this guard where you're just disconnected from what's happening. So in terms of, in terms of dating a single mother, I kind of wanted to get into this. I've only ever been in love in my life once, true love, real love. And it's funny because, you know, you talk to people to sort of get a sense of what that is to them. You ask people, have you ever been in love? Right. And the sense that I get from talking to a lot of people about this is that not a lot of people really have experienced what true love is and what that feels like. It's not you know, infatuation, it's not, um, you know, this kind of ideal relationship, like, you know, most of the time, people don't know something is out there unless they've experienced it. So they just take the best relationship that they've had. And they say, I was in love. But that's not what love is. And love is like, love is like, you can't it's it's like becoming one unit you know it's like you can't even think straight without the person around you without hearing their voice it's like when you're in their presence every thing inside you is just screaming to be connected to have to have them inside you to to be you know together physically and spiritually right because i mean when you're having sex with this person it's like it's 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 like I can't I'm struggling to find words I have said when I've talked about this before in some of my writings is that it's like um, it's like feeling the presence of God when you're having sex with with somebody that you truly love you know and it's you you can't it's, it's inseparable you can't even like detach yourself you want them that close all the time you know it's just you know sex for days (laughs) multiple orgasms complete comfort bearing your soul complete vulnerability talking forever never running out of things to talk about always enjoying being near each other um it's it's you would die for this person it's you would you would want to you know have their babies just to see them in the children to to have more of them you know it's like every time you think about it it makes you emotional it gets a response from you that's so powerful you know it's it is just you know constantly daydreaming about them and wanting to talk to them all the time and it's just it's so much more than that I can just barely (laughs) scrape the surface to describe what it's like and you never you never fall out of love with them you know it's it stays with you forever that's true love you know even to this day it's been seven years for me and it's you know, I have trouble containing my emotion while I talk about this because it's just as powerful as it was the day that I met him. And so, you know, that's what that's what true love is. And to find that kind of chemistry and connection with somebody is so rare. It is so rare to find that. And the problem, in my opinion, nowadays with, with marriage, I mean... divorce rate is that people get married thinking that what they have is true love when it's not. Because the true love that I'm talking about, like I said, you never fall out of love with that person. Everything is on fire all the time, forever, you know, and that is the kind of love that sustains a marriage until until you both you know move on from this life. and so people get married for the wrong reasons. and um, and for me personally, if I didn't feel this kind of chemistry with somebody, it was just I didn't want it, <laughs> you know, and, and you know when you feel it. And nothing ever came close. And so I just didn't want it. It is more of an annoyance. It's funny. I look back on my relationships, and it's <laughs> all my relationships have sort of happened in a way where I just kind of went along with it because it's like, yeah, you know, maybe I needed the help. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It sounds terrible when I say that. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking from my earlier years, right? But it wasn't because. I truly was in love with them. You know, you can get a sense of if you foresee this being a long-term thing when you first meet somebody, right? You get a feeling. And I remember having that feeling and going, this isn't going to (laughs) work. I just know that this isn't going to end well. It's not right. There's something off about this. And I always knew, I always knew, but I'm a big, like, experience person. Like, I just like to have experiences, and that's gotten me into all kinds of trouble, but the school has of life <laughs> has made me very knowledgeable with all of these experiences. And I still can't put my finger on whether or not, you know, it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I actually lean more towards it being a bad thing because <laughs> just to go off on this little spiral of um, information, I find... You know, there's, when, when you stretch something a certain way, when, once you're capable of doing something, you're always going to be capable of doing that. You can't really retract that capacity. And so when you have all these experiences, right, when you really just stretch here and here and here and here, you can't ever revert back to, I call it like a state of innocence, especially if it's something that was sort of a na- negative experience. And so, you know, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's not wise, I should say, to have certain experiences because then it's really disorienting. Um, You know, it it can really throw you off balance and the way that you perceive things. and, And, you know, the best way to navigate life that I've found is that you know, life isn't necessarily about happiness. Life is more about holiness. And I don't mean some sort of religious you know, connotation when I say that. I mean holiness in terms of the purity of your of your soul, your temple, your your body, your heart, your whatever you want to call it, the purity of that. Right? So when you're when you're doing something that damages you or makes you feel gross or dirty or compromises your dignity or whatever that has an effect on the purity of your soul and you know how you're going to navigate the world how you feel about yourself and and so when you have when you really go out there with extreme experiences that can bring you negative consequences it really sort of fucks with that it fucks with the the your innocence and the purity of your soul and or it can it can make you feel like you've damaged your soul because i i believe that there's purity in everyone right but it just makes it murky so that you can't see it or you can't feel it um and so i don't necessarily believe in having too many crazy crazy experiences you know because you can't have too many right like i i uh jordan what did jordan peterson say he said something about um adversity that really appealed to me um it's like you need to have you can't have too little adversity or too much you kind of have to be in the middle because there is such a thing as too much you know a bit of adversity is good for everybody it makes you stronger in your confidence and you realize your capacity for being able to handle things but but if you have too much adversity it kind of you know does the opposite you become over sensitive to things because your your threshold for dealing with any more shit becomes very thin And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. So, so, you know, in terms of dating, just to roll back a little bit to what I was initially talking about. So, you know, in terms of dating, like I didn't, I, I I was about experiences. Right. And, you know, it's nice to have company. I was very isolated a lot. Right. I moved in the middle of nowhere most of the time. And, It's just kind of nice to have company and to talk and to learn people, learn from people. Um, One thing that I've always really enjoyed doing is studying people, watching people, observing them. That was partly because, you know, of the residual trauma, right? That's what you want to do is you want to really anticipate the motives of people and and poke around in their thresholds of of malevolence so that you um, know what they're capable of. So you know if you're going to be in danger or if they're capable of hurting you. So it's sort of this automatic mechanism in me where I really like to study people and watch them and ask questions and sort of anticipate what I think they're gonna do, um, and and you know that's sort of never left me. <laughs> but so I found it interesting. I was I was really always very amazed by life. Like I just was always taking in so much information, and so. You know, relationships for me were just sort of, you know, uh, more learning tools. But but the real learning tool, the real self-reflection happens when you bear your soul to somebody. Or rather, they're capable of seeing your soul, um, you know, in true love. It's like um, when I write about this this true love that I've experienced, I often talk about how in this, this true love... He saw the little girl in me and he saw who I was underneath all of the hardness and all of the, the, the stuff on top that I was dealing with. And all he wanted to do was connect with that little girl and that pureness and that playfulness and that vulnerability. And, you know, because I wasn't capable of, of releasing my guard down enough, um, in my personality because it was such you know so a part of me then the way that we are vulnerable together a lot of the time was through sex because you, you can't really help it but to let your guard down you know especially as a woman right like you're it's like you're you, you have to be vulnerable you're you're being penetrated right and then you have this release of hormones that lets your guard down even more and it makes you feel vulnerable and so we really connected a lot with sex um, because it was just, that was my truly vulnerable state. It was like, I was unraveled, right? But so bound up, you know, in, in the world going through life. So when a mother's date, um, there's all kinds of things that I see happening that I don't really resonate with because I was not that way, um, I find that there's, there's quite a stigma, especially in the dating world around single mothers. It's like, there's this automatic, uh, thinking that, you know, the, the, the guy is going to have to be responsible for them and they're going to have to be dad and they're going to have to provide this and that. And it's just zero to 100. And, and I don't like, I don't know why I, knew that I wanted to present myself in a certain way like I I don't know how I knew how to present myself in the dating world that wasn't like that if that makes sense like for example like I see I see like you know tinder profiles and you know bumble and whatever and it's just like proud single mom and it's got pictures of her and her baby and and all this stuff and I've just never understood that right it's just you know, that's such private information. I'm not going to put pictures of my baby online on a dating profile for a bunch of strangers. You know, I'm not, that's not the centerfold of my life and who I am, you know, as a single mother. Um, There's a lot more to me that I would want somebody to know, you know, being a single mother is, is a big part of my life. Yeah. But it's, it's not my personality. It's not who I am as a companion, you know like i get that it's a big deal but when you're meeting somebody and you're connecting with them and and your purpose for doing that is not because you're a single mother right when you're when you're truly wanting to date somebody you want somebody that you're that you can have fun with and you know that's enjoyable to be around and it's just you're you're getting to know each other's personalities and whatever so that always seemed really intense for me whenever i'd see you know these these profiles and i'm just like why are you why are you setting yourself up that way right like if i was a guy and i saw that i'd be like okay (laughs) it it wouldn't really be appealing to me um you know like like when you shout something like that from the rooftops like uh, i'm just trying to think in my head like do you know how could you could you conceptualize how weird it would be you know if a if a couple that was raising kids together we're just like proud functioning couple family you know Uh, like I don't know in whatever context but it just seemed kind of weird to me it's just not something that you'd like want to shout at the top of your lungs so that intensity is like right there right away and I find that that intensity presents itself um in the dating lives of single mothers in other ways like you know, the, the, the the relationship is, it just moves too quickly. Right. So, and single mothers sort of have to be careful because it's like, they have this life established for themselves. They've gone through the pregnancy. They've had the baby. They've done all of this. Right. And a lot of people haven't. And so she's got this life sort of cultivated. And then when she starts dating, it's like coming into that life, boom, so much intensity. And it, it feels like, you know, they just have to they just they just try to fit them in that life the the, the guy that they're seeing and then you know they, they carry on and i just never really understood that you know um in my dating life i was very very protective and adamant about none of my partners uh meeting even meeting you know my son like until months later i was very very particular about having anyone around my son that I did not trust very deeply. Um, so, you know, and then even when I was dating somebody, he was just sort of, you know, he he was there and he was, you know, friends with my child. But like the role of being a parent was not his. It, I didn't allow it to be his. I didn't, I wasn't comfortable with them stepping in in any regard You know, being a a authoritative uh, influence in their life, or you know, uh, sort of any of that, right? Like doing any parenting or guiding guidance with my child and whatever. Like I, I was just totally uncomfortable with any of that. It's it's like that was something that you had to really earn, like really earn in my eyes, right? Like I, I had to be fully confident in your capacity as a human being to take on (laughs) guiding something so precious and so vulnerable um, and susceptible to influence. I think I am a rare case in that I uh, had to let go of my, a lot of my femininity and and maternal self and it was easier to do that because of how hard my life was at the time and so... You know, I took on more of a masculine role with my son, whereas I don't think a lot of single mothers do. They sort of stay in this, you know, helpless femininity, damsel in distress sort of um, persona. That being said, I'm not out here to tell anybody how, how to date or, you know, how to love. I can only offer some perspective. You know, some people can date when they're super struggling as a single mother and they find, you know, a super, super nice guy that doesn't mind, you know, dealing with all that and stepping in and, and whatever. Um, personally, I just had too much pride and was very picky to want to be in a circumstance like that. I'm going to throw in a super heavy topic here and talk about abortion. It's kind of appropriate given what's going on in the world right now. Um with wanting to make abortion illegal. And so I'd like to share my perspective on it, um, having had an abortion. And I can now say that comfortably, but I wasn't able to divulge that to anybody for years and years and years, but I have gone through that. And I had previous beliefs about it. I still have beliefs about it. Um, And it's a very controversial subject because... I mean, the biggest thing is I think that people feel that women should have the option to abort a child if something like rape has happened, you know, or, or you know, you're, you're living in poverty and you can't possibly take on a child or another child, you know, in situations like these. And, you know, while I understand that, I feel like, you know, in a perfect world, Like this is, this is just so out there, but like, so, so my position is that I don't think that abortions are, are good things. I don't think that abortion is, benefits anybody. I I don't believe in abortion. I, I, I just, you know, I value human life. And I think that if our world was orchestrated in a way where If you were in a situation where you needed the help or, you know, like you're living in poverty or there's a lot of trauma around it for you, that there should be extremely extensive systems in place to help that mother you know, become a contributing member to society to be able to do, you know what I mean? Like just to be able to build on her healing and help her with the baby and and the situation and surround her with support. And, and I mean like an extensive system in place to be able to do that so that, you know, that baby was protected and, and she could heal and, and do whatever. Okay. So, so I'm on the side of that, but our world is not like that, you know, um, you know, and I'm coming at this from uh, a perspective where, you know, I had gone through so much trauma from having my one child. I've I've never experienced a, a positive pregnancy. Um, there's always been trauma around it. I don't even know what that feels like. I've never had a uh, pregnancy where I've had you know, the guy be happy about it. And it was this loving thing and whatever. Um, The worst year of my life was when I was pregnant. It was, you know, I was working, I moved out on my own at 17. I left my house. um, Well, before that I was with the father who was uh, an abusive addict and I had followed him down to Vancouver and we were actually um, homeless for a time. I've got all kinds of stories from that instance and he was seven years older than me and uh you know we were doing things like I remember washing my hair in a a public sink I remember you know at in the evening restaurants would put out like a like pizza places would put out their leftover pizza that they didn't sell for the day and they'd put it outside on a park bench for the homeless people and I remember eating that and uh I remember sleeping outside in a park downtown vancouver um it was called pigeon park i was approached by people um pointing me to a homeless shelter when my partner abandoned me in the middle of the day to go and find crack i didn't know at the time what he was doing i was so naive i was so naive and uh so young and just blindly following him i had i was like you're prime example of daddy issues you know that was sort of right after my dad like fully abandoned me and and then this person came into my life and literally said words like you know me now you know I'll protect you I whatever and so you know with your first love you sort of just latch yourself onto them and so you know I went through all kinds of crazy crap with with that human being oh my god just just insane crap you know panhandling um, stuff like that, just seeing really bad things. And uh, I remember getting offered a job to sell heroin in the middle of Pigeon Park. <laughs> we didn't take the job. I remember, I remember my partner taking me to a strip club. What was it called? The Paramount uh, downtown Vancouver. And um, getting me an interview with the manager, and before I knew it, he was trying to get me a job to be a stripper to to make us money. And you know, I didn't know what was happening until the the manager <laughs> like sat down with us, and I was like, uh. and then we ended up leaving because he got an itch for crack, and so he had to go and find it. um <laughs> So like all these things happened, and I was so naive; I had no idea what was going on, and. And so that was when I got pregnant and I remember taking a pregnancy test. I was going along with him to an NA meeting and, you know, for support or whatever. And also because I had nowhere else to go. Like he was my everything. I was following him around like a lost puppy. And I took a pregnancy test in a bathroom at an NA meeting. (laughs) That's when I found out that I was pregnant and, um, at that point I was like, okay, I can't do this. You know, enough is enough. I, uh, I have to go home. And so I ended up calling my grandparents from a payphone, and saying, I don't have any money to get out of here and I'm pregnant and I need to come home. And they paid for my bus ticket. I got home and my room had been given away. And I was like, you know, Wow. <laughs> I had nowhere to go when I got home. And so I needed to move out. So I moved out on my own at 17. I got my first place. I worked two jobs. I worked at a Quiznos and a motel. And I worked two jobs and then I tried to finish my high school through outreach. I had no vehicle. I was pregnant and then also my um abusive partner decided to come back to, you know, my town. And so he was terrorizing me while I was going through all of this. Um, the first time that I ever thought that I was going to die was when I came home one day after a guy friend had taken me out for ice cream while I was pregnant. And so, you know, we caught up and we had ice cream and then he drove me home. And then, you know, I come into the door of my place and my partner's there and, he is just in a mood you can see you know he's in a some sort of a mood I don't know if he was withdrawing from something which was often the case um but I came in and he was furious that I was with somebody he had absolutely no trust for me I had no idea why I'd never done anything and so um he was questioning me about this person and I you know I was like I've done nothing I don't know what's going on like why are you so upset and he started raising his voice and Um, I went into my room because I was really scared and, um, he picked up this belt. It was like, it was like, how do I describe this? It was like a punk belt. It had a bunch of bullets. It was just, it was just basically, it looked like a big long cartridge of shotgun bullets and it was really heavy. And, um, and so he picked up this belt and he just started snapping it in his hand and walking towards me and he looked like he was going to kill me. And so I started bawling my eyes out and I got into a ball on the bed and just covered my head and I had my big pregnancy stomach and I was crying and I was saying, please don't, please don't hurt me. Please, please stop. You know, I was so terrified and he's snapping this belt and then he looked like I, like I thought he was going to hit me with it or do something. I don't know, but he was coming towards me with it and he snapped it. On the bed and then you know he released his grip on it and then he hovered over me and he screamed at me as loud as he could you know um, it felt like he was literally in my ear screamed at me and the this guy's huge like he's six foot two covered in tattoos like really scary guy and uh, he had a really bad reputation in town and he was seven years older than me and I was 17 and um, yeah, he was screaming at me and, um, I was fucking terrified. So he got up and left the room and then he said that he was leaving and then he disappeared. And, uh, I remember thinking while it was happening, I remember distinctly thinking, I'm never going to see my family again. I'm never going to see my mom again. You know, like this is, I felt, Immediately, how my family was going to feel without ever seeing me again. And so he left and I was paralyzed. I just couldn't move. I was so scared. Um, it took me forever to sort of like calm down, you know. And so that's what was happening during my pregnancy. It was the worst year of my life. Um, I had to go to the hospital because... I was bleeding from the stress and walking around to my jobs and whatever. And, um, and so, you know, it was really tough because while all this was happening, you know, I didn't have a support of anything, (laughs) you know, and, you know, God bless my mother. She, it really, it wasn't her fault. She didn't know how to be a source of guidance to me she only had the skills that she did at the time and she's, you know, wonderful, wonderful. She's been there in every way that she possibly could for me, um, with her limited resources all my life. And, uh, sometimes it was, you know, just being able to pick up the phone and, and talk to your mom when you need to, um, does amazing things. And so, but my father, on the other hand, um, you know, I was really open about what was happening to me and I would tell them everything And I would tell my dad the way that I was being treated and my dad shook his hand in the grocery store. (laughs) I even had a safety word that I had communicated, you know, and I said, whenever I say I've got a headache, it means that there's something really awful happening and I need help. And I said those words and nothing happened. Nothing came of it. So I was abandoned and being abused and going through literal hell. And, uh, that pretty much thrust me into the way that I've lived my life. Um, where I just decided, well, first of all, I, I had to leave town. I had to get away from all of this bullshit. Not only my abuser, but just not having it. I had nothing there. I had no support. I, I just had nothing. And so I left and I took my my, my life out of my own hands and just realized that my life was my own and I was going to do whatever I needed or wanted to do. And that sort of propelled me to, you know, I moved around a lot. I moved 11 places in 10 years. And that was because I just had this insatiable desire to constantly bring experiences to myself. And I feel like, subconsciously I did that because I didn't have any guidance and so I was using life to teach me what I needed to be taught to be a you know um sensible person to be a well-rounded person I just didn't know anything at this point and I just kept on bringing all this these experiences to myself I would just make these decisions that were that would seem so crazy to somebody right like Anytime I moved, I never had any money. I just found a way to make it work. I was resourceful. You know, I would just, I, I found a way to sell everything that I had and then, you know, work at this this job for, for this amount of time to make this much money and then ditch it. <laughs> you know, and I had that in mind that I would ditch it in six weeks. <laughs> I remember having that plan in place when I moved to Red Deer for a year and then I made the decision to move to Chilliwack. I just wanted to make a big move and I felt called to go there. And with every move that I made, I was trying to get closer to a life that made me happy. And the, you know, going through life, I, I came more, I became more and more um, closer to nature. I, I noticed my surroundings just changing more and more and more and growing closer to these beautiful places, which really resonated with my childhood. You know, I, I may may things may have been really rough for me later on in life, but my childhood was really amazing. I think I was just ignorant to the fact that there was a lot of friction in my family, and and my dad was always really good at taking us out to do things outside, outdoors. And I was really obsessed with with uh, <laughs> with bugs when I was a kid. I was determined to become an entomologist, and so that really resonated with my childhood being in nature. And I found myself growing closer and closer. Um, to nature with every move. And so anyways, that's some like backstory about, about my experience with my first pregnancy. And then my second pregnancy came as a result of that true love that I was talking about. And I, it was funny because I remember having this baby Jones and we were trying to break up. We were trying to break up and we were trying to break up for a year and we were in the middle of this and we kept on going back and forth. I lived on the island, he lived on the mainland and and uh, we were just at the, the very, very end of breaking up and um, then I got pregnant and when I found out, I was so happy. I couldn't, I was so, not because I was trying to like lock him in with me or something, right? Like i very easy going but I was happy in the sense that as I mentioned earlier, it felt like I had a piece of him. Like I would have a piece of him in this child for the rest of my life. And I was so happy about that because I loved his soul. And, um, you know, it, it just sounded like a dream to me. And I was happy to finally experience, you know, a healthy pregnancy and, and feel joy in it. And, And all of these thoughts are swarming through my head and I'm just so overwhelmed with this love. And um, the first, you know, thing he said to me was not even conceptualizing keeping it. It was, you know, we need to get an abortion. (laughs) Needless to say, that was I won't even get into how devastating that was for me, but, um, by the time it was all said and done and and i and I was a coward and I was a coward. I didn't want to go through what I went through already. That was so devastating for me. Um, and I was a coward and I got an abortion because of that. And, uh, let me just tell you, I grieved the worst grief ever. (laughs) For a year and it wasn't only for the loss of what I thought was the love of my life but for the loss of my child and and doing something that I didn't believe in and compromising that dignity and um there wasn't a day there was not a day that went by that I did not cry um and then the only way that I got over it was after it had been a year and I had done so much crying and whatever i actually did this creative visualization um method where you know there's a book called that and i read it and it talks about this um exercise where you know you're you're laying down and you close your eyes and you have this visualization in your head and they walk you through through this process and It's basically somebody, so it's an environment where you feel at peace and you're there alone and and you take in the environment in as much detail as you can. And and then you sit with with what's weighing heavily on your heart. And then you visualize somebody who you greatly, you know, it's a mentor, somebody you deeply, deeply value and look up to. And for me, that was God. I I grew up in a a Christian home, you know, my dad was actually a minister, you know, and I, I hate saying that because it turned out to be such a wad of crap later on after he passed away this past year. But, um, so for me, it was God and you kind of lay your burden at this mentor's feet and you talk about it in as much detail as you can and what pains you and whatever, And, um, then they respond to you in an affirmation, right? They, they respond to you in affirmation. So, you know, Marita, Marita, you are healed from this. You are released from this, you know? And so I did this in my head in as much detail as I could. I think it probably, I was probably laying on my bed with my eyes closed for about an hour and I have a very overactive brain. So this exercise really worked for me, but when I came out of that and I opened my eyes, I felt, I just felt that it was, it was done. It was done. It was over. And so I was able to get on with my life after that. But, you know, my experiences around pregnancy have been really um, just painful, to say the least. Very painful. And um, I've never experienced what it's like to have a a healthy you know um, thing around pregnancy but abortion is not something that feels good and I think it would have affected me just as much you know even if I wasn't deeply in love with the person um, it's something that I've always regretted and a lot of women do and um, I would dare say that the women who say that they don't feel anything or they wouldn't feel anything Just haven't developed a certain degree of self-awareness, you know, when you're really in tuned with your with your body and yourself and how things affect you and and whatever. So, I'm not necessarily on board with it. I think also something I want to add to, um, in terms of the the residual uh, trauma of going through an abortion, is that there's this feeling of um, I couldn't get over this feeling of penalizing myself my body, for something that was beautiful and natural and came as a result of love. Um, I didn't understand. My body was doing something that was amazing and, you know, natural and wonderful and, you know, an extension of who I was essentially. And it was creating this life inside me. And it was really hard to wrap my head around um, you know, uh, um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? Penalizing, penalizing myself for that, my body for that, like it had done something wrong. Like there was consequence to, to, to being in love and, you know, and, you know, having this connection. So that was really hard for my self-respect and my, my love for myself. And it was really confusing. Um, you can imagine and all the ways that that might've manifested itself in my life, but that's another component or it was for me. But on that note, just to sort of end this topic with a bit of compassion, we don't live in a world like that. There are not systems in place enough or even single mothers, which is my whole sort of spiel here. There's not, you know, if there was, um, that would be great. And I would say, you know, abortion is not the way to go. That being said, with the state of things and, and how complicated situations are, I understand. I understand. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm not at this point with the state of the world on either side. But I just wish that the world was different so that this wasn't an option, I guess is how I'd want to wrap this up. But I think that's all I'd like to talk about for today's episode. Um, Thanks for tuning in and hopefully we'll see you next time.